with the intro later. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that kind of would be the move. Like, well, I like it. it. Make a seamless transition. Like, well, we'll, st- we'll start it. We'll start doing that. Give give the people a taste of our, our back and forth, not actually while it's recording. Yeah, the sad part uh, that we, sh- we should have just started the recording because I know the listeners come every week for the, our in-depth soccer talk. Yeah. And we got all that out. Oh, and wait, we are all... recording right now, are we? We, we sure are. <laughs> <laughs> we got all of our soccer talk out, and then we got a lot of our golf talk out. Uh, so, I mean, I don't even know what the point of us continuing. We we could just repeat it all, but it won't be as good for the second no, time. Absolutely not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people are really dying to hear about my, my swing journey that I'm going on in golf. <laughs> I, well, I had the other day uh i was talking to a mutual friend of ours and uh talking about hey yeah man we haven't played golf in a few weeks and i was like yeah you know it's probably uh it's probably a good thing because my wrist was starting to hurt but my right wrist because my you know again going on the swing journey and uh so my right wrist was starting to hurt because i was playing like twice a week and uh, i was like yeah man it's probably good you know kind of give that time to heal and then we'll get back at it and he goes yeah man you know just take take all the time you need you know you need to be healthy and i was just like my God, just approaching 30 things. Like, <laughs> it was, it, yeah, it was just bad. Like, I mean, it's a good problem to have. I was playing too much golf and yeah. my right wrist. It, it, it didn't, like, nothing was broken. It was just, like, kind of... It was sore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, again, oh. I had a weird... I, have, I still have a weird swing. So it was just like, meh, well, that, that was a good... That was a good... Uh, this it, hurts now. Yeah, they yeah. <laughs> Uh, along with like you know knees back now it's the wrist great Just <laughs> well we're working up my body welcome to the pious the pig and the podcast i'm colby mitchell and i'm davis pig this is a podcast where i try to teach davis a little something about golf and catholicism and davis makes fun of me for it davis I, what's been going on man uh, i i think i made and speaking of like you know approaching 30 things um i made a big step today what you do i bought a ladder Hmm. Yeah. How did I own a ladder before you? Well, I'm six and a half feet tall. So oh, like, that's why. <laughs> yeah, um, Most things you can reach with a tiny can, step stool. I can stand flat, put it in my house, and put my palm on my ceiling. Oh like, gosh. That's also because we got you know short little walls. Yeah. But uh, you at you at six four, me only at six zero. Oh. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, five eleven. Sure. Uh huh. With it. God, I hate you're gonna make me reference friends, but isn't that a friends thing? I have no idea. Or I hate friends. Yeah, thank you. Me too. I'm actually. I, I was taking the episode. I, I, I was hate friends. Five ten in high school, but I remeasured myself recently and learned I was only five nine. So mm. I don't think I shrank. I think I just was lying to myself in high school. Bang average. Yep. Yeah. No. Uh, but yeah. No. Um, bought. Yeah. In today in suburban white guy things, I, I bought a ladder. Hmm. That's a big step. Because I needed to get into my attic, and my attic does not have ladders. So have, yeah, have you no, been in your funny. attic before? Well, I mean, it's it's a little it's a little ranch house, so it's like a little squat thing. But we're you know about to buy uh, it, so I was wanting to get up in there and look around. Gotcha. Yeah, no. So yeah. So no, so, so that is the house that you're going with. Oh yeah, yeah. Davis homeowner. Hopefully, yeah. Great time to buy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's what all the experts are saying. I, w- I actually was, I waited till the rates get this high and yeah. to buy now just to, just to, honestly, I just want to play life on hard mode. 
Like everybody else, everybody with a two percent mortgages, it's they just took the easy way out. Yeah, I'm out here for the challenge. Absolutely. Stretch my monthly. Let's go. I I have a internet friend that he he lives in New York and he's trying to look to buy a house right now and uh he's looking in New Jersey uh because for obvious reasons of not paying an arm and a leg, but he's still only going to get like twelve hundred square feet for half a million dollars. That's absurd. Yeah, and and no land to go with that. I'm sure. Oh, no, but no, he, he's going to be able to touch his neighbors. Yeah, so he, he he's like, man, 500000 I'm going to have to do it, but I'm I'm stretching to afford that. And he went to go get pre-approved at the bank, and uh, and the bank said, well, congratulations, you're pre-approved for $1 million. And he just smiled, and he went, oh, the housing market's about to collapse again, isn't it? And the banker was just like, congratulations, and kept moving on. But yeah. he was just like, "Well, this is frightening." Yeah, no, they, they, uh, I think whenever I did mine, they, uh, like pre-approved me or whatever. I mean, it was easily a hundred and twenty thousand over, like, what I felt was comfortable. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You know. Which I, I think that a hundred thousand might be a, a okay cushion if you're playing with, you know, looking at. Three hundred thousand dollar houses, just so you can be like, uh, I'm gonna get this one for three fifty. If your budget's three, you know, you're going for a three hundred thousand dollar house. Hey, you got some room to move up to three fifty no, if you need like, to. But no, I'm saying like the, you know, the budgeting, whatever, like the traditional metrics. It was like, you know, okay, I feel comfortable with this number, and they straight up were like, oh well, you can be very approved for like one hundred twenty five over that. I was like, Golly. um, what? Like, it was like, that didn't, the payment would end up being care. like half of my net. It was <laughs> like, uh. We don't care. It's fake money. It's uh, whatever. We don't care. Yeah. yeah We're going to so. get bailed out about it. It's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Don't worry yeah. about it. Now, don't uh, look behind the curtain. Oh, God. You know, and hopefully nothing, you know, super dies. But, uh, yeah. But yeah. So, so ladder owner, hopefully future homeowner. Um, maybe, you know, a new vehicle owner one of these days, but that's down the line. Right now, I still have my transmission linkage tied together mm-hmm. with zip ties. I've finally gotten to the point where, because I've been trying to take good care of my car because I drive uh, like 30,000 miles a year. And uh, I, I finally got to the point where I was like, oh, this is my car's last leg because I took it to the shop and they said, well, this light's on. And, uh, and you really need to change these fog lights. Cause if it's foggy, you won't be able to see or something like that. And it was like 500 bucks to fix all that. And I said, eh, I'm good. And just didn't get those two things that I was like, these are fine. I will sell the car before, <laughs> you know, before it gets to, to the point where I'm thinking, man, I wish I had those fog lights. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also a fog light. So you should be able to change that yourself. You watch a YouTube video, man. I watched a YouTube video. I have a Nissan, though, and apparently the Nissan Rogue, at least what I think I understand on it, you got to take off, like, the entire front panel. So that is how you're – so, oh, God, we're getting into car talk. Um, but that's how you're supposed to do it. And here's a tip for everyone at home. Uh, there's, like, a manual way to do it. Like, so whenever uh, you go to the car shop, mechanics, whatever, um, and they say, hey, it's going to be X amount of dollars, it's because they have a giant ass book um, from each manufacturer, and it says like oil change, um, well like whatever it is, replacing headlights, and it has 
the estimated hours it'll take to do that, like mechanic hours, um, and recommended like price. And so the shop has its own like per hour price. And what mm -hmm. they do is they take that hour number and multiply it by essentially the tech's time and whatever margin they need. Mm. So, but that's by the book. So like for my truck, same thing. Like to replace the headlights, uh, you have to take the front bumper off per the Chevy like guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure it's like an hour of build labor or something like that. Um, what they don't tell you is that you can definitely just open the hood and fish your hand down in there and mm. pop the light off, put, just rotate the light and pull it out. Um, it take, to change my headlights, it takes me like 15 minutes. Oh. Like, yeah, no, it, no, headlights specifically don't touch them with your hands. Uh, like the skin, the oils on your skin will mess up the halogen because they operate at such a high temperature, but, um, so just wear gloves, but, uh, but yeah, um, that, that, there are YouTube ways around it, um, but whatever they tell you, oh, we gotta take the front bumper off, that's what they say they have to do, because that's mm -hmm. what the manual says. Yeah. Not, they're probably they figured fish, out the tricks. They're probably gonna fish their hand down in there and pull it out. Like, yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm also at the point, though, in my life, I'm not doing random stuff like that by myself that I will not enjoy doing. Well, whenever you come up, we'll replace your headlights. How's that? Perfect. Sounds good. Yeah. And also, here's a fun car tip for everyone. Um, save yourself money now. This is for you too, Google. Save yourself money now. Um, go on Amazon and buy yourself something called an OBD scanner or an OBD mm. reader. That's a Oscar Bravo Delta, like OBD. Um, it's like 30 bucks. Is that your phone? Yeah, it was vibrating. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like 30 bucks, and there's like a little plug up under your dash, um, and that is what essentially reads the computer on your car. So like when you have a check engine light or something, you plug in that OBD reader, and it shows you like the code of what's what the issue is. So it's like, like I said, it's like 30 bucks, throw it in your console, forget about it, and you know, if something pops up, drive down the road, wonder if it's safe, pop it in there, it'll give you the code, you can just Google it, and you'll kind of know whether or not it's safe. I actually looked those up the other day and I probably am going to go ahead and buy one because the, the light that came on, they fixed before they said a water bottle just rolled under your seat and it knocked loose a little mm -hmm. uh, wire and we put it back 150 bucks. I was like, well, that's stupid. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I, I And you can also fixed, clear but... the codes with those things. So oh. 100, 150 bucks. And now granted, like you can do it to be shady. Um, Say you want to, like, you have a code on the car, as in mm -hmm. a dash light, the check engine light. Yeah. You have a code on it, and uh, you want to go sell it. If you clear those codes before you go sell it, they can see that you cleared the codes. Yeah. Like, it is the computer, like, so, the ones at the dealership and the mechanics, they have the high-end ones that tell you, like, the time it popped up, the speed you were going, like, yeah. uh, how many RPMs were on the engine, all that stuff. Um, cars don't have that, but... Uh, but so they know if you cleared it, but uh, you can also clear it to see if it'll pop up again, if it's yeah. just like a random one. But uh, it'll also save you because I have gone into a mechanic shop and like, I, and I don't know shit about cars. I just happen to know enough to be wary of mechanics. To not pay $500 to replace your headlights. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but I've gone in and I've been like, you know, had a guy, you know, old change or whatever. And the guy's like, man, you got, you got a couple codes on it. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I know. He was like, I mean, we, we can go ahead and read it. And I was like, all right, tell me what they are. And he's like, all right, that's, that'll be an $85 computer fee. And it's like, 
what? <laughs> he's like, yeah, man, we got to bring out the computer, you know, the, the analyzer. You know, he started throwing uh, stuff at me. I was like, Chief, you know damn, I, you and I both know damn well that, <laughs> that you were just going to walk back in there, plug that OBD scanner in, and it's going to spit you out a, a report. Like, you're not doing a thing. You're not going to charge me $85 for that. And he's like, oh, no, no. So, so Unless you paid, so, like... Thirty grand for your OBD reader. Yeah, no, it was not granted, <laughs> not granted they have a high end one. Yeah, it's probably. Yeah. It, I mean, it's probably a few hundred bucks, but it's like, I was like, dude, do you do this to everyone who walks in here? And, well, not man, it's not, it's not like that. I was like, oh, no, no, I understand, but like you and I both know it's just an OBD reader. I was like, I have one in the console. And he was like, <laughs> he goes, well, no, then I can do it for free. <laughs> It was a whole thing. I oh was just like, gosh. are you really policing was this for 85 bucks? Pl- was this that place by your house? Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. They came under new ownership, though. I think they're better now. Oh, good, 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 good. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully, uh, I, you know, I didn't have in our intro my obligatory, I hope my audio is good this time. Yeah, I think it sounds good on my end, so we'll, we'll think it's good. Well, it always sounds good on your end, so. Yeah, that's true. I, I could tell nice you. nice velvety voice. Well, uh... Sorry, folks, that y'all got car talk instead of uh, instead of <laughs> soccer talk uh, this time. But uh, let's jump into our our topic for today. So I was I was listening or I was reading uh, a a article that was written by a Baptist preacher because uh, it had some good stuff in it. I wanted to to see what he had to say, and then I noticed, content. huh? Just scanning for content. Well, no, I just, I like to make sure that I give a <clears throat> accurate portrayal of, of different denominations. Because I also like to see what what the similarities are. Because we're not that different other than, you know, some major stuff. But we all kind of hold the same Christianity, you know. So, and that's always a, a better way to connect to, to people who are different denomination is say, hey, here's our similarities. Let's talk about what makes us different and why we believe it and stuff like that. Well, Rather it's not than good to just attack them on the front end? No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work as well. Uh, you know, so that, but, but that is one thing. I'd, and, and sometimes you get something that's real good because uh, the good thing about Baptists in particular is they're a little more emotionally connected to their faith. Uh, whereas Catholics can be a little more legalistic, and especially me, just I'm too analytical for some of these things. So I like. To I have no that. idea what you're talking about. Like so, so for for Catholics, this is this is my sarcastic. Thing. Okay, my bad, yeah. Davis. I was like, I was a little confused. The whole for a part moment. of my role on this podcast is to be legalistic <laughs> about Catholicism. Yes. So so the Baptists, because they don't have you know a text full of canon law, they they have a little more feeling when it comes to their faith and i like to see how that kind of plays out uh and how it might apply to the catholic faith but anyway while i was reading that article i noticed that he mentioned uh the early church fathers and i was sitting there i was thinking okay who are the early church fathers to a baptist preacher are these early church fathers that i know or is this somebody that's like you know 1600s or i don't know when the baptist church was founded William Bishop II. Is that who's founded the Baptist Church? No, I just made that up. Okay, I was about to say. Okay, well, there you go. So whoever founded the Baptist Church, 
is he the early church fathers? And then I, I did a little more Googling, found another Baptist preacher, and he mentioned uh, some names that I recognized. Uh, such as, Well, Davis, can you give me a name of any of the early church fathers before I read these off? Jesus. Uh, Jesus is Jesus, so Boom. he doesn't count. From, from downtown, just... You toss that thing up, I just slam it. Yeah, that's, he's not an early church father, though. He is God. He's the definition of the earliest church father. <laughs> Capital F father. Okay, let me give you the definition, then, of what an early church, or what a church uh -huh. father uh -huh. is. There are four major characteristics. Uh, they have to, to, to be considered a, a church father. First is antiquity, and that mainly means they lived before the 8th century. And you gotta be old as shit. Yeah. Um, which which surprised me that 800 seems like a long time to still be a church father. Uh, obviously not. Well, I mean, that's. I feel like that's. I mean, I'm not real up on my Middle Ages, early Middle Ages uh, history, but I, I feel like that's like the front end, or the 800s is probably like the back end of it being a Christianity being, Christianity being a super persecuted religion and more of like a mainstream. Yeah, that's probably I feel right. Like, I feel like it started. You, you start like. I don't know why the number pops in my head, but it starts becoming like mainstream or like the say the twelve hundreds, like around the Crusades, like what was it wasn't the like the the one thousands? Um, yeah. Like the uh, well, you have like the Norse conquests of England. Like it seems like you know the the reach starts starts beginning somewhere around there. Yeah, it's probably part to like if you think about a person, they're still in their childhood and they're learning and they're trying to figure things out, and 800's probably the time where they're like, hey, you're enough of a teenager that you can kind of understand this at an intellectual level, and then the teenager's like, well, I just want to fight a bunch of wars. Let's go to war. Let's do it. And now we're probably in our middle-aged man phase of the of the church, but, but 800's probably when the cutoff is like, okay, you're done being a kid that's just kind of taking it, and now you, and you've taken in all this information and now you kind of understand it a little better and ready to put it all together. Mm -hmm. So antiquity is one of them. The other one is uh, uh, doctrinal orthodoxy. So it is doctrinal. sticking doctrinal. Mm -hmm. hmm, I've never heard the word. So that's the first time I've heard that word pronounced correctly. So doctrinal orthodoxy, meaning that they're sticking to uh, the script. Like it's not, going completely against uh, uh, the faith that's already been put forth. Personal sanctity. They had to live out their faith. They have to be saints. Uh, they have to be live a life of virtue. And finally is approval by the church as well. So the church kind of puts the stamp and says, okay, they have these characteristics. They are a church father. So they're, they're, they're people like uh, Clement of Rome would be one of them. He was the fourth bishop. I mean, fourth bishop of Rome being the fourth pope. Uh, Saint Ignatius, Saint Polycarp, Saint Justin Martyr, uh, Saint Irenaeus, Cyprian, Athanasius, Basil, Cyril, Jerusalem, the Ambrose. These are some of the church fathers that we had, uh, and we've talked about them a couple of times before. We mm -hmm. talked about uh, Ignatius. Uh, you talked about. I was about him. to. Say, I, I've, I've probably researched every one of those uh, names you just listed as yeah. potential saints. But uh, and side note, you know, not intentionally, but I absolutely I, and I completely forgot exactly what I said. But I'm pretty sure I said early Middle Ages, and I nailed that on the head. 
Mm. The Wikipedia article has the early Middle Ages from 476 to 799. Hmm. Yeah. So those were our our last years before we really hit our our, uh, angsty teenage years as a church. Well, it's essentially like from the fall of Rome to, I believe, like the the Byzantine, the start of the Byzantine Empire, Mm. like, and the... uh, in the Ottoman Empire, like mm. right up in there. So, so yeah, no, it, it's because it, at the time, I think when during the fall of Rome, it was Christianity was the majority religion, so it was pretty yeah. widespread at that point. Well, there you go. And, and that the the other nice thing and and the the joyful surprise that I got realizing that the the Protestant churches look at these as the church fathers as well is is you see, hey, we're all still one church. You know, there wasn't even Catholic and Orthodoxy there; it was just Christianity. It was it was one church at the time, uh, so that we all kind of share, and that's one of the reasons why we're not all that different is because we all share the same upbringing, uh, and and got to this point. So, anyway, these are the 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 church fathers. When it comes down to it, that that's what kind of makes them church fathers through their orthodoxy, through their personal sanctity through their antiquity and the approval of the church. And this Baptist preacher that I I found, he was somebody who studied uh, and read all the text that he could find of specific church fathers that came through, uh, which I found super interesting as well, and was trying to understand, I was trying to figure out how you read some of these church fathers and you don't, get back to at least a Eucharistic tradition uh, and at least Orthodoxy or Catholicism because it, it, it kind of baffled me. So then I started reading them myself to kind of figure out what's their deal, what did they really talk about, and how did the church kind of get formed uh, through their teaching. Uh, and the first person he went with was uh, St. Clement. And here's what the uh, the pastor's name that that wrote this article uh his name was scarl s-c-a-r-l-e and obviously first or his last that's his last name uh okay i guess i'm not one to talk (laughs) yeah mr pig yeah uh and and i'm not picking on him in particular i just he was the the baptist who kind of fleshed out the most online so I'm, i'm i'm using his uh his stuff. So he, Scarl says, uh, Clement, who died in. Oh, go for it. Sorry. Uh, so this is Scarl's words. He says, Clement, who died in uh, 101, is mentioned by Paul in his letter to the Philippians in 4 3. He was a fellow worker with Paul and became a bishop of Rome. The term bishop, and this is his words, the term bishop in the Greek is the word. Shoot, we got to read Greek. Damn you, you have to read Greek. damn you, Scarl, is episkopos or overseer. Okay, thank you. Episkopos uh, or overseer. It designates the leader of the group, whether religious or secular, and would be equivalent to the term pastor as we use it today. We have an extensive letter of his uh, to the church at Corinth. So obviously... Where is Corinth? Greece, final answer. Correct. Thank you. It's the first time that we probably played the game four or five times in this podcast. Oh, it's the first time we've gotten it. The game of where's Corinth. <laughs> yeah. So, so Scarl here talks about 
bishop just being the same term for pastor. And I, I guess he's kind of right in the fact that he is the overseer of the local church. But you and I know because we, you know, have this vocabulary and this vernacular of us. A bishop means uh, overseer of the local church appointed in communion with Rome. Uh, the Bishop of Jackson is the bishop for the entire territory of the local church. The local church is what a diocese is considered. Now, I mean, it is now. It is now. I mean, again, this is, I mean, I'm also looking at his Wikipedia page, doing some fact checking as we're, as we're doing this. But, uh, but I mean, yeah, the dude died in the year 99 per Wikipedia. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, that real meaning of that word might not have been uh, fleshed out just yet. Right. And, and they also, like, there, there wasn't at this time, there wasn't even a office of being a priest. There were only bishops and deacons at the time. Mm-hmm. So the, the bishop at the time, it still is... Until con- they needed more middle management. And the archbishop yeah, because we, and the priest. Yeah, because we got yeah. bigger. We weren't just a local church that was hanging around, you know, Rome and Corinth and uh, Smyrna and all these places. This Again, was something. Speaking to like the most successful bureaucracy that has ever yes. existed, like yes. the Catholic Church. They figured it out. Yeah. So, and 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 like you're saying there too, that that makes sense. Why, if you're coming from a Baptist perspective and you don't have any of these these clues to kind of connect to of the Catholic upbringing. That you could sit there and go, okay, he was just, he was the main pastor for that region. That makes sense. Now, now tell, tell me this, this uh, preacher's name again. Is he, is he like a scholar or is just. No, no, no. He, he, he's just a guy who uh, was the pastor of some Baptist church that popped up in, in Google. Which, um, which I mean, I mean, in, in that defense, like to, to essentially what I just said, some guy, um, like we talked about with, uh, with Ryan on our. Our seminarian episode. Um, I mean, I mean, his degree, his seminary degree, likely involves like some pretty serious theology that I definitely haven't taken. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he, he, I assume, even just bringing a preacher, he's had some education in that. Right, and and he obviously knows to what the Catholic Church looks like, at least to some extent. I assume he does because I assume that's part of being a Baptist preacher now. You're, you're sh- changing your words right now, but we, we both know that uh, some uh, some do not have the knowledge. Of that's the true. Church. That's true. I've talked to several that have yeah. none, but I always want to be as charitable as possible to these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're, <laughs> um, we're taking that assumption. Yeah. Yeah. So we're taking that assumption, but but if it, it, I also assume that he doesn't have the complete knowledge where where we understand how a bishop functions as a uh, poor bureaucrat. In many again, cases, I, and shepherd I'm, of the flock. Again, I'm taking the, I'm still taking the stance that, like you know, saying we know how a bishop functions. I mean, that's how it functions in our understanding, but also on the same end, like I would argue that um, folks raised in the Protestant faith, just Protestant faiths, uh, plural, um, but even on the Baptist side, like I would argue that they have a bit more objective look at, say, some of the you know, founding documents or whatever this guy's looking at. Um, because, I mean, we have this idea that, like, okay, we were raised in it. Um, yeah. 
this is our understanding. We're told it's correct. But, nah, and I'm sure there's I wouldn't you know, say biases that the... on their end as well. But, like, I, I feel like, like that lends itself to some objectivity, at least some, like, subjectivity in the, uh, in the differing viewpoint and the way to look at it. I disagree with that because they would come from a, and at least I'd hope they'd come from the assumption that the Baptist faith is the correct faith if they're going to be a pastor for the Baptist church. So I'd say that their bias goes anti-Catholic first before assuming an objective appearance. I'd be more inclined to look at an atheist scholar who is just like all of you are idiots to be the one to to look at it more objectively, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. But, but um, either way, so, so, but... We're, we're hoping that, you know, our scholars aren't taking their beliefs and backfilling the information they read in to meet that belief. But, you hope that, but they are human yeah, beings. <laughs> you hope, but I think that's, like, largely... If y'all, I mean, I'm not claiming to be a historian, but if you've ever, like gone down some like ancient like the ancient history like wikipedia pages for some of the guys like who we know most about like the you know this these times through like pliny and in um and jerome and stuff like that um there are like swaths of their wikipedia pages that are just like well he was known to be a known liar about this because he hated this guy like yeah yeah <laughs> it's like he was pretty objective about like you know the eruption of vesuvius because it was bad yeah. But, uh, but like, this other stuff, he really had a thing for, like, Rome's emperor at the time. Yeah. So, like, yeah, take well, a grain of salt. And it's also just like you and me here. We've talked about how, okay, we have a teaching we don't understand. We're going to always defer to the church as being correct until we get the proof otherwise. I'd hope they'd kind of assume the same thing about their Baptist scholars until they, you know, got the proof otherwise. If that's that's the nice thing about religious religion and religious debate um, is um, good luck finding that event of proven otherwise. Yeah, and that and that is the hard part. And that again, that's what faith means there. But but it is, I, I do think that you can, if you are going to agree that these are the early church fathers, you kind of have to listen to what they say, and and agree that they spoke the truth at least for the most part. So when we're looking at St. Clement in particular, uh, who was this guy? He was the fourth Pope. Uh, it's believed that St. Peter actually tagged him to be the Pope after Linus and Clement, that St. Peter was kind of like, all right, we're not going to screw this up in the beginning. This guy's Pope, Linus is going to be Pope, then Cletus, then Clement, and then then we'll go forward from there. Wait, have um, I talked about him in a previous... I think you have. I think you have Hold talked on. about yeah. St. Clement. Because we've talked about the Apostolic Fathers. Yeah. I believe. Because he is considered, like, one of the chief... Yeah, yeah he... Yeah. he I remember reading this line. He's considered to be one of the, the first ap Apostolic father of the Church and one of the three chief ones together with Polycarp Ignatius of Antioch. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So he he was he, he was the fourth Pope. Before he was Pope in Rome, Bishop I, of Rome, he was either in Antioch or Corinth. Yeah, no, Do I you, did. Yeah, yeah okay, there you go. Um, so the ma most famous things that he, he did as far as, as what we still have today is he wrote a letter to the Corinthians in 96 AD, so this would have been when he was Pope. Uh, he gave examples of what bishops and deacons should look like, so he basically was like, hey, you're going to be the ultimate Christians here where you've got to make sure you uphold the faith. He said, uh, 
So then it is fitting that you should appoint for yourselves bishops and deacons who are worthy of the Lord, men who are humble of humble and not lovers of money, who are truthful and proven, for they too render the sacred service of the prophets and teachers to you. Therefore, do not despise them, for they are your honored ones, along with the prophets and teachers. So saying, hey, this is a special office. So they are expected to uphold the office to, to good standing, and you as the lay people are expected to honor their position there as well. Mm-hmm. So he kind of touched on that, on how uh, bishops and deacons uh, should act. And he used the term bishops and deacons, which we still you know, use today and, and have the same faculties for bishops and deacons. Uh, another thing that he talked about was baptism. And I just included this because I thought it was cool. Um, but he said, let us further consider the strange sign which takes place in the east, that is, in the places near Arabia. There is a bird which is named the phoenix. This, being the only one of its kind, lives for 500 years, and when it has now reached the time of its dissolution, it constructs for itself a tomb of frankincense and myrrh and other spices, into which, when the time is fulfilled, it enters and dies, but as the flesh decays, a certain kind of worm is produced which being nourished by the juices of the dead bird brings forth feathers. Then when it has acquired strength, it takes up that tomb in which are the bones of its parent and the bearing these passes from the land of Arabia into Egypt to the city called Heliopolis and in open Heliopolis and in open day flying in the sight of all men, it places them on the altar of the sun and having done this hastens back to its, its former abode. The priests then expect the registers of the dates and find that it is returned for the completion of the 500th year. Do we deem it any great and wonderful thing for the maker of all things to raise up again those that have piously served him in the assurance of good faith when every, uh, when even by a bird he shows us his mightiness of his power to fulfill his promise? Are you done? Can I, I'm can done I, now. Sorry. I'm trying so hard not to interrupt you. What the shit? Like, so okay, he okay. So first off, first comment. Um, so he's not a biologist. He is not okay. a biologist. Not a botanist. Got that. Not a not a ornithologist. Um, second, that whole tail end of that kind of proved my point to the you know take some of this with a grain of salt. Um, Right. So what Clement, yeah, like, what Saint Clement was doing there, is you can he would, say it's a metaphor, but I, the way you just read that, that makes me think that man thought that there was a phoenix that lived for five hundred years, in in Syria. What he was doing there is that he was connecting because because one thing that Clement did as bishop of Rome, especially at his time as the fourth pope, is he is always connecting the Eastern religions and those of the pagans that are around them to Christianity to show how, and we've talked about a little bit of this, how different religions have some aspects of the truth, right? So this was a great sign to show, hey, this can actually happen. And 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 I can say this too. He very well might have thought that there was a phoenix that was there. It was not the time of the internet where you just Google up. He just heard of this bird that was in the east and and went with it. But it is something that he was able to use to show, hey, through baptism, we are reborn. We die to ourselves. We are reborn in Christ, and that is part of the religion. So come on over. This is part of what we're, part of what we're about. Mm-hmm. 
I'm sorry, I'm looking at phoenixes as well. <laughs> um, I mean, because because I mean, I, I mean, fun fact, I, I'm embarrassed to say this. Um, I did not know that it was tied to Greek mythology. With yeah, it's an immortal bird associated with uh, Greek mythology, with analogs in many cultures such as Egyptian and Persian. I kind of didn't like. I don't know. I feel like it's so ubiquitous in our culture now. Honestly, yeah. through Harry Potter, I didn't know that it was. <laughs> but um, but yeah. Uh, side note to the uh, well, not really a side note. Our main note that we're talking about off of the Phoenix. Um, but yeah, no, I went back and looked at my notes on uh, Saint uh. Pope Clement. Clement the first. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, but that letter you're talking about? Yep. Then, you know, listen back to our previous episodes on when I used to do actually some, actually do some work on this podcast. <laughs> um, but that letter he did is actually like kind of a gospel. Um, it was known as first Clement, but it didn't make it into the Bible. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is the earliest authentic Christian writing outside of the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and there was the Corinthians after they deposed some bishops. Um, and apparently uh, recorded the martyrdom of St. Peter and suggested that Paul traveled to Spain. Yeah. So that that was, uh, I know they debated on whether or not to include First Clement in there. Mm-hmm. That particular passage was from First Clement 25. So he got to write and he did a lot of writing to the Corinthians. Yeah, and, uh, and dedicated listeners to our podcast will remember that um, his relics are in the Basilica de San Clemente in Rome. Yeah. Um, but their origin is questionable because uh, St. Cyril brought them to Rome around 750 years after his death um, because, you know, uh, because uh, allegedly uh, Pope St. Clement was tied to an anchor and tossed into the Black Sea. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, St. Cyril found some uh, bones tied to an anchor on dry land in Crimea. And then, <laughs> these are the bones! And brought them yeah. back to Rome. But yeah. Could have just been some some scallywag that was thrown off their ship. Oh, 100%. Like, or, you know, it just had some bone. It, it, would, it was a crab skeleton next to an old anchor. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that that was, I, I just thought that was cool, which is why I continued uh Included that passage, but he does later in in First Clement forty two. He talks about the laying on of hands of how uh, that specific action of of conferring a new bishop uh, and ordaining a new bishop through the laying on of hands. So he mentions the holy orders. Uh, he also explains how the apostles appointed the first bishops and deacons in an orderly way, and that uh, we have to continue on that that path as well. He spoke about uh, the Eucharist in his book, uh, uh, Paedagogus, P-A-E-D-A-G-O-G-U-S. You want me to spell that again? Yep. P-A-E-D-A-G-O-G-U-S. Paedagogus? Pedagogus? Sure. Pedagogus? Pedagogus. It means the instructor of children. Like, pe- yeah, pedagogy. Yeah. So yeah, he. No, uh, yeah. No. Take it back to take it back to the Latin words. Like uh, that's you know it's hard. Pay isn't really used for for anything except pedophile. Um, but that yes, child. Oh. Child. Yeah, yeah. So pedagog and um, I assume gog is the uh, 
like education, but education of children. Yeah. So the instructor of children is 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 that. He affirms that the Eucharist is both symbolic and the real presence. So the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Uh, you know, he comes in with the symbolic stuff and he talks about how it refreshes and grows and wields us together as a, a people of faith. And then later in that same chapter, he kind of affirms this same, uh, the actual presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Wait, he calls it. Wait, are you saying Pedagogus was Clement's work here? Yes, this being St. Clement's work. Cool. Um, what do you got? A quick little Google so that's not the same Clement. Throwing a little wrench in your thing here. But uh, it's actually Clement of Alexandria, born in 150 and died in 215. He was a Christian theologian, but he was in Alexandria. Okay, so I might have got my Clements mixed up. Well, I mean, that, to be fair, you would think, of, you know, with one Clement. Uh, he was Pope Clement the first. Okay, so I'm gonna we're gonna disregard that as an argument at all then for the for the Clement stuff. Um, yeah, sorry to throw a big wrench. In no, the, that's wrench fine. In there, but uh, that, you know, because that's why the listeners, this is why you have me around. Yeah, I'm, I'm annoying most of the time, but I'm here to call Colby on the <laughs> Hey, well, it, you know that that kind of sucks. If only we had like dozens of other early church fathers that we could you know pull from. Uh, again, talking about you know. We were talking about Pope St. Clement I. I mean, the writing that we were talking about literally is the earliest Christian writing that's not in the Bible. Right. Like, right, I, right, I mean, it's, there's this limited is source material here. 2,000 years ago. Yeah. 1,900 years ago. Yeah, yeah, and listeners, I'm sorry y'all uh, y'all were listening to this, but you didn't see Colby after I you know made that. It was like, oh, it's not the same person. He took a page of his notes and just dramatically threw it. it to the side. <laughs> Like, just, just disgusted with it. Hey, if you want to know anything about me, it's that I'm right. And if you want to know something else, it's when I'm proven wrong, I will do everything I can to then become right again. If Colby's losing at a game, he will ju- he'll kick the ball away rather than No, lose. I'll just say... Because it doesn't mean you lost. It means I lost, but I'm coming back with a vengeance, and I mm-hmm. will win. I will mm-hmm. destroy. Join us next week for the... Historical review of the early popes, where I just, I just actually get uh, get historians in here and line them up, and every time Davis says, "Actually, you're wrong about that," I zap them with a buzzer. Okay. Davis, oh Davis is I, I'm sorry. No, I, I, I really love this podcast. I love what we do <laughs> um, because it, it really fuels my my need for the esoteric um when it comes to like you know and especially with uh you know if you're thinking about like knowledge as a web and especially if you're thinking of wikipedia as a great example where like there's links to everything you know Mm -hmm. things are connected um but that network is very small when you're thinking about a niche topic so like christianity it gets smaller when you're christianity from 100 to 105 yeah yeah um so I'm, I'm just, I'm scanning this Clement of Alexandria Wikipedia page. Um, it, it's like, he he was, so he, he's widely regarded as a, as a capital C, capital F church father, and he's venerated as a saint um, in pretty much everything, ex- well, Eastern Catholicism? Is that, is that us? It's just us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of weird to see that 
But um, he was revered in Western Catholicism until 1586 when his name was removed from the Roman martyr martyrology by, guess who? Our favorite Pope. Sixus the fifth. Yes, love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, so, so when they remove, uh, this is a side note. If there ever was one, when they removes a saint from the rolls, like Saint Valentine, he was taken off of the calendar. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean that he's not a saint. What it means is we don't have, we lost some evidence somewhere along the way. So, like Saint Valentine, for instance, we don't know if he actually existed. So. You could still have a devotion to St. Valentine, but we might be like, eh, if you're like, he never existed, you'd be like, okay, that's fine. So it, it's kind of like a a putting them in the in the shelves for huh. whatever reason. So that, yeah, putting them on deck. Yeah, like he like he he didn't get called up to sit on the bench for that that Chelsea match with he's their fifteen thousand. He's, he's on, on the, the squad. He's not on the bench. He's in the locker room. Uh, or maybe he, he doesn't exist at all, but we don't know. But I mean, obviously we have writings from, uh, of Clement of Alexandria. Is that where he's from? So yeah. he's, he's still a saint. He just, we don't have enough information about him to do much about it. So anyway, let's move on to our next, uh, church father <laughs> that, uh, Scarl mentioned, which was Polycarp from, uh, he says from 69 to 155, he was the Bishop of Smyrna. And these are his words, which is one of the seven churches. Smyrna, but yeah. Eh, which is one of the not seven that, churches. That's also Smyrna, Greece, not Smyrna, Georgia. Oh. Well, then there I got to throw this out too. Okay. I know, right? And also not Georgia, not Georgia as in like the Balkan state. <laughs> as, in, uh, as in the U.S. state. Uh, yeah. No. And fun fact, Smyrna, Georgia, also the uh, headquarters of... Um, the U.S. side of Glock. Oh, good, yeah. good, good, good. And no one, no one gives a shit about that fun fact. But okay, I'll, I'll keep to the. In Scarl's word, he says Polycarp <laughs> was the Bishop of Smyrna, which is one of the seven churches mentioned in the Book of Revelation, written by the Apostle John. We have a letter from Polycarp uh, by Polycarp to the church in Philippi. We also have a description of his martyrdom written by the leaders of the congregation following his bur being buried alive for his faith. Polycarp was a student of the Apostle John, end quote, for Scarl. So St. Polycarp, he was a bishop and a martyr. He lived in the second century. He was born around the year 69 uh, and was a disciple of the Apostle John. He got all that absolutely right there. Polycarp was appointed bishop of Smyrna, uh, which is located in which modern country, Davis? Sorry, Smyrna, uh, Georgia. Uh, yes. <laughs> Actually. Damn. Damn, yeah, no, Chris. Huh. Turkey. Oh, what? Modern day Turkey. Is it? Well, yeah. no, it, so it is ancient Greece. Yes, ancient Greece, and and served in this, he served in this position for many years, becoming I made, sorry, I made, the, I made that, uh, that comment to my, uh, to my future father-in-law, who is Greek, um, <laughs> The other day that um, Cleopatra technically was born in Turkey, in modern day Turkey. Hmm. Um, How do you take that? Not well. <laughs> She's Greek. She's Greek, Davis, because because like she she was born in ancient Greece. I mean in the yeah yeah, but um so therefore she is Greek. But technically, it, it, it might not have been Turkey. I think it might have been modern day Syria. Like 
but it's technically under the, the ancient Greek empire, uh, but not modern day. But it's very, yeah. it's a very distinct line. One that you probably shouldn't have to really try to find at the dinner table with your future father-in-law. But Funny. being, I mean, being I, compatible, of course you I have to. But I get all of this podcast content. <laughs> and, I can, and I kind of know some Greek. I know like four words in Greek. But, Good. But you can at least than, pronounce the words better than me. Nah, yeah, I'm around it a lot. But at least, yeah. you know, compared to Colby, I'm fluent. True. True, true, true. So Polycarp, he, he was known for his writings, uh, but especially his, his martyrdom. Uh, whenever he was uh, arrested by the Roman authorities and brought uh, before the proconsul for trial, they demanded that Polycarp denounce his faith and swear allegiance to the emperor, and Polycarp obviously refused and declared that he'd served Christ for 86 years and would not renounce him now. He was then sentenced to be burned alive but the flames did not harm him. Uh, they it led some eyewitnesses to say that he looked like bread baking in an oven rather than a human being. Uh, so finally, when that didn't work, they pulled him out and they stuck a dagger in him uh, and killed him that way. And the, the dagger killed him. And as it killed him, a dove uh, flew down and plopped on, on Polycarp as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that that is kind of what he's known for is they're like, especially him sitting in those flames and just kind of chilling. Mm -hmm. uh, there's other eyewitnesses that said when he was walking towards the flames, it looked like the fire was afraid of him and just did not want to touch him. Uh, so, 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 the, OK, it is that is it's that detail that you just said right there and the dove landing on him are the little things where I call in the question. Yeah, a lot. Of, you know, again, this is very 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 ancient history but um where i start i call in the question a little bit of those details mm -hmm. added in because they just sound too good like, yeah i can honestly it's it's my Catholicism talking where i can <laughs> i can i can take like i'm i can say yes okay he wasn't burned by the flames practically again i'm talking in a very practical sense mm -hmm. the the detail of the dove landing on him as he's burning just sounds like an ad, and it's like, God, yeah. you got to sell this. Like, so the, it, like, we could say the Holy Spirit was there. Awesome. But, like, having the symbology of that, and then also this, like, you know, oh, the, the flames were afraid of All right. All so, right. So that part isn't as hard for me because they would have said, there would have been others that have been like, no, we, we didn't try to burn him. We just stabbed him at the time. But they tried to burn him, and it didn't work, so then they stabbed him. The dove thing, yeah, it does sound too good to be true. But I always recall, especially for these early church folks, I recall the stories of uh, there There was a Renaissance pope who was not a great pope, and he looked at one of his compatriots there and said, have you ever seen a pope with this many riches? i got to be the most wealthy man on earth. Look how great this is. You know, even Peter didn't have these kind of reaches, riches. And the the cardinal that was with him was like, yeah, but he could raise people from the dead. So who's yeah. really got it better now? <laughs> and it's like, and Peter didn't have these riches. Peter had like a stick in a shirt. Yes. Peter was living like, like, the, a, like a single, like a 19-year-old... And on his own in his first apartment. 
There was a like, there was a reason that, dude, that he that dude didn't have a couch. He had a bucket and a cinder block that acted as his co- acted as yeah. his coffee table. <laughs> there was a reason why he could raise people from the dead, but this pope could not. You know, there there there's virtues of of holiness that the early church had because they were getting you know buried alive, uh, buried alive and burned alive, and you know they had to they had to really be strong in their faith. Also, you really undersold Polycarp's last words. What like were they? The, I don't have them. Uh, you had the front end for like you know, uh, eighty and six years I have served him. He has done me no wrong. Again, capital him and he. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of it is kind of metal as hell. Like, so Polycarp goes on to say, "How then can I blaspheme my Lord and Savior? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season." And after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. That's awesome. If and you're Paul ready to was di- burned at the stake and pierced with a spear for refusing to burn incest to the Roman emperor. Yeah, there you go. So his, his letters, uh, when I went through them, there there's nothing like earth shattering uh, there, but they were all good Christian virtues. Obviously, stuff that the early church needed in the second century. But he really talked about. Christian unity, humility, and obedience to God's will. Uh, and it did kind of make me sad seeing Christian unity as part of it when we have like thousands of denominations of Christianity in the world today. So that, you know, hopefully one day we can all be back to, to one church. But that that is, uh, that's kind of what his writings were about, those early things. So that's Polycarp. The next that we have on the list that uh, Scarl talks about is Ignatius. All right, so he's hitting all... The top, I mean, he's hitting the top three. Yeah, he's he he is he is. That was the the nice surprise. They are looking at the same early church fathers we are. So, in Scroll's words, Ignatius was a bishop of the church at Antioch, which was the Apostle Paul's home church. We have seven or eight of his letters, which are authentic, and several which are probably not. He was a disciple of the Apostle Paul and knew the Apostle John. I also his, did this one. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Uh, his most famous letters were from Smyr, uh, to Smyrna, Smyrna, uh, where Polycarp was the bishop. Mm-hmm. He is uh, on his way to Rome under guard to be fed to the beast in the arena. And yeah, Davis went through this. He he met with the churches along the way as he went. Uh, the big thing is he had a letter to Rome that was pleading with the the you know Pope to say, "Don't interfere with my martyrdom." Let me please let me see the Lord. So that's uh, that that is the way he lived and died, and we went further on him one, in one of our earlier episodes. It was um, actually the it was the episode before. Um, I must have gone on a, a kick on all the Apostolic Fathers, but it was right before Saint Pope Clem, Pope Saint Clement. But um, but yeah, no, uh, and I'm reading through my notes on that again. But if I recall here. It was a very odd, he had a very odd execution because uh, he was chosen to serve as the Bishop of Antioch um, and, you know, as they did the Christian, he was set to be executed um, and the Romans came to get him. Um, but the weird part was like normally with, because like, you know, uh, that's a whole other topic on like Roman citizenry. Um very interesting, like, uh, anthropological thing, uh, on how they viewed that. It's like Romans didn't necessarily view race, period. They just saw citizenry. 
like regardless of color or creed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like being a Roman citizen, you know, capital C versus a non-citizen had some pretty serious distinctions for you. Um, but like, so he was a Roman non-citizen and um, instead of, you know, executing him on the spot as often happened with non-citizens, uh, he was like escorted to Rome, but not by boat. Like they took him essentially from like modern day Syria, like all the way around Turkey, like down near Greece, all the way through Italy and down to Rome. Like Which you they, you had to imagine that the people escorting to him too were Christians to some degree, or at least sympathetic, because they let him like go talk to every church along the yeah, way as well. Yeah, no, they, they, they did. It was like he he was, but like for and that was kind of the distinction if I recall whenever I was researching him. But like that's very odd. Yeah, like for for non citizens of Rome at that time, like you you're essentially you you were you were speaking against the emperor of the yeah. most powerful powerful uh, empire at the time. Um, and essentially they take it, like they, they walked, this is, you know, everything's quicker by boat. Could have just sailed there. Yeah. They walked him all the way around, letting him, let him preach the whole time. Yeah. Like it, it was a whole, it was a very, very weird scenario. I, I bet you those, those soldiers that escorted him are probably saints right now too. Cause they probably got the, like, tell us all about it on the way and like sorry bro this sucks but that, that or he was the most persuasive dude of all time yeah and one honestly, of the two and honestly, it could have been that might be the case because i mean again the, so ignatius was the one that pretty i think it's pretty clearly um that saint peter said this is the next guy yeah it's ignatius yeah um polycarp everybody else clement afterwards but yeah. like ignatius and it might just be because that man had the gift of gab. Yeah. Like, this guy could talk ten Roman soldiers how to kill him on the spot and just essentially can convince them to make him a day trip like, yeah. or a year's trip walking through the countryside. Yeah. <laughs> like, how awesome. Yeah. Well, he, he did have... He, he started giving some blows to the idea of, of the... Eucharist not being proper, the bishop not being in charge. Uh, he did say, uh, let no man do anything connected with the church without the bishop. Let that be deemed a uh, proper Eucharist, which is administered either by the bishop or by the one who is, he has entrusted, which would be our modern-day priest. Uh, which, again, we can see how that would be a connection of bishop to pastor if you see a bishop as a pastor of your local church. Mm-hmm. But then he he later also talks in his letter to the Smyrna Smyrnians Smyrnians. I, I can't help you here, too. Whatever it is, he said, "Take note of those who hold heterodox opinions on the grace of Jesus Christ, which has come to us, and see how contrary their opinions are to, in the mind of God. They abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ, flesh which which suffered for our sins and which." the Father in his goodness raised up again, they who deny the gift of God are perishing in their disputes. So that's one that I'm like, ooh, that's pretty forward of the Eucharist being the actual body of Christ. How do you mm-hmm. reconcile that if you're, uh, you know, don't believe in the Eucharist, but this, you believe that this guy's an early church father who has the truth on his side. So again, I don't know how to reconcile that. I just kind of lay it out there to say, 
this is this is your argument for the Eucharist there if you're going to agree that this is the early church father. Mm-hmm. So that's what we have on uh, Ignatius. He mentions Papias of Hierapolis, uh, and I'll be real, I'm not very familiar with Papias. I know the church does hold him up as a saint and an early church father. Um, P-A-P-I-A-S. He was one who often he his main thing is that he pointed back to the apostles and was like, what do you what do you mean? uh, You know, X, Y or Z, do what the apostles told you to do. Mm -hmm. People like, well, is it really that bad? Yes. Look at the apostles and do what they uh, said to do. Mm -hmm. So he he basically said, y'all know what's right. Y'all know the stories. All of that lives in your heart. Now go live it and listen to what God has to say to you yeah uh poppy ass um interesting uh that was, oh that was a point i was going to make earlier i think you when you were talking about clement um talking about uh heliopolis mm-hmm. do you know what that means no because you're talking about like how he was taken from Finn, correct me if i'm wrong he was taken from like a play the phoenix that was it the yes phoenix yes, and, yes like the phoenix and it was taken to a place of like the temple of the sun and what have you. Mm-hmm. So you know what Heliopolis means? Literally, uh, me- literally means... In the heavens? Of the, no, literally means city, city, of, city of the sun. Like, okay. So so like a heliocentric universe. Uh, like oh, gotcha. Heads. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yes. Same, same thing. It's like polis being city, but it's literally city of the sun. So at least his, his uh, Clement's mythology was consistent. And uh, he was taken to Heliopolis and sacrificed on the altar of the sun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, there you go. Like that in Heliopolis. Yeah. It's like, you know, Jesusville. He was at the temple of Jesus. Like, yeah. Yeah. And and that, that it, I'm glad you said that too, because that makes more sense to him why he would use that analogy. Uh, because he, he really did believe in the story of the Phoenix, which mm-hmm. is you know, the truth of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So, um, anyway, that's well, interesting. It's a, Greek, it's a Greek tale. Yeah. It's funny how all that comes together. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, it, it's one of those things, it's like history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Yeah. That, that old saying. Um, but, it, you know, I, I might have talked about it before, but it's, uh, you know, again, I am an amateur historian and I right. read a lot of Wikipedia. Um, well, it, it makes sense to, on the flip side, not just the Baptist side, but on like the hardcore atheist agnostic side, I get their arguments too. Of It makes sense why you'd go, okay, well, this just rhymes, so it's just the same. That's well, why you just got to keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. If you're really searching for the truth, go find the ultimate truth and figure out why why do these things all rhyme? What's the purpose of that? You know, And, that, and not to like be too much like, uh, you know, 18-year-old freshman who's drunk for the first time and talking about theology but like you can argue that like religion itself is a, is a whole like an evolving discipline searching for like the capital t truth yeah like and therefore there are going to be lines where like of parallel thinking that like you know at the end of times like we will be close you know each day that passes each eon that passes we're going to get closer to it humans are just evolving towards that understanding right um, like, yeah, again, not to be like, you know, sitting in a dorm at 2 a.m. talking about religion. <laughs> well, but it, like, it, but, but it it's goes, partly but, that. 
it does go back to that episode we did on the Abu Dhabi family house of everybody's yeah. still searching for the truth. Um, you know, if you're if you're the atheist, you're thinking, well, they're just searching for the same thing that it all kind of they're like, oh, that sounds good. Let's add it to this. But I mean, you know, when we're looking at it with our point of view, we go, OK, everybody's searching for the truth. They're going to find part of the truth. It's not like, hey, I'm going to search for a open green pasture. Uh, I'm going to walk straight into the desert. No, they're going to walk the opposite direction and look for a place with water and, and where they know some truth exists in the first place. Mm-hmm. so these are the uh that's who he's gotten through so far ignatius was the h- hard one for me to kind of like say how did you read ignatius but you didn't question at all for that point because uh, ignatius also talks about the cup of blessing he also talks the, about the bread of life and those he talks about not merely as symbols but he looks at them as true flesh and to true blood you and I have heard the sound of, hey, uh, what is the cup of blessing? What is the bread of life? We have a connection to that. So I can see how you might be able to say, okay, cup of blessing is just the faith and bread of life is just symbolically what Jesus was meaning is, is you know, to read scripture. But, you know, these are things that he put some context to in his earlier writings as well. So I, it, it, it confuses me on how you could read Ignatius in depth as a Baptist preacher and not at least have those questions, which he's not going to put those for his parishioner, whatever congregation that he has to see if he's questioning his faith. Cause that's a big blow to your Congress, uh, Congress. What do they call and, a parish? Whatever they call a parish. Uh, I actually yeah, don't know off the top of my head, but, um, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm having some sympathy here on, on that end, but it's, um, but I'm trying to think, it's like, it's not necessarily his responsibility to be super objective in all of it. Because um, I don't know, in the, what was the context of him writing this article, blog, whatever? Uh, his art, his his whole content, the context of it was, hey, I was reading these early church fathers. Here's who the early church fathers were. He didn't give specifics and in-depth analysis of what each person believed it was just these are the early church fathers basically so so that makes sense like so i mean you can't you can't really fault too many rights unless it's like a strictly legal thing where essentially which is what i do every day um where you're like that the whole point of it is like okay here are the possible arguments on this side here are the possible arguments on this side here's the relative strength of those arguments I mean, a lot of people, you know, especially if you're writing a blog, I mean, think of it with your Substack. Like, you're writing stuff, like, and it's been a minute since I caught up on it, but it's like, if you're taking a historical document, your goal is to look at it through a Catholic lens, like, to say whatever you want to say. Right. But I also, but I also don't think you're under an obligation to be like, this is how I see it as a Catholic man, and with my thought there, but I mean, uh, you're also not under an obligation to be like, well, maybe it's not that like, right. So he's also not going to do right. It's and, and he, he should, he should come from it from a point of view of I'm a Baptist preacher and Mm -hmm. this is what I believe is true. And I, whenever I study, uh, you know, Catholic documents, my, or any other subtext of different religions, I'm looking for the truth in those things, but I'm looking at the truth 
using the tools that I already have in my arsenal that I've received through the Catholic faith. So I'm looking at through it through Catholic glasses, I guess, because I can put stuff together better. Um, you know, for the Baptists, they have their Baptist classes that they put on. And and I always look at it too of, you know, Baptists aren't non-Christians. They they hold the fact that Jesus Christ is the savior of of all. You know, so they have at least part of the truth that comes through there. Whenever I'm looking at it, I'm going, okay, if you're going to be a rocket scientist, you've got to learn first for, uh, addition and then multiplication, and then you got to learn algebra, and then you got to learn geometry, and then advanced physics, and, and then eventually you get to rocket science. Orbital physics. Catholic, whatever it is. The Catholic Church, and not me in particular, because I don't have time to be have the full knowledge of the Catholic church, nor does anybody, but over 2000 years has figured out orbital physics and maybe the Baptist uh, understanding of the faith is still on addition and subtraction. It's still true, but it's not, they don't have all the tools necessarily to get there. Whenever you get to more of the Eucharistic uh, religions like uh, Anglicanism or Orthodoxy, what have you. Now you're looking and playing with physics and already have algebra as your, so you've got more pieces of the puzzle so you can understand it better. It doesn't mean what your understanding is untrue. It just means that there are more steps that you can really add to the fullness of the truth, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, but I think it's, um, I think it infantilizes a little bit of, uh, like the, the, the first religions you mentioned, but, um, but it, like I mean, my thought is like it like I largely think ju uh, just generally like we got we all have like ninety percent of it. That it's that back end on the ten percent where it's a little bit different. It's like we got the majority of it. Now there are a lot of different. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of differences in like practices and like and again we've made a whole podcast out of talking <laughs> right uh, about Cause... like the 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 nuances of Catholicism, but like I think largely i mean we got what we have like it, you know i think we have 90 percent of like we're 90 percent similar yeah um, just, i'd agree there's some differences on the table. now the the 10 does matter it, it matters oh, a lot that? when it comes oh, to a a and B, man. yeah um but it, it it does matter a lot especially when it comes to the salvation of of the human soul um which we've talked a little bit about too of you know, we as as the church, the church proclaims the only way we know to get to Christ is through the the Catholic Church. Could be other big ways. Big C or little C Catholic. Uh, big C and little C, the universal Catholic Church, because you need the sacraments. You need all the sacraments in their fullness. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, God might let the B B pluses get in there too. You know, we just don't know. We we do know <laughs> for sure. You know, we talked about it too that you and I are personal opinions are probably if you get the d minus that you're in too but you know yeah, we don't we can't know it for sure shit person like right you know right like pass that you know it, it's it's that thought but yeah we talked about it at least, yeah but so so the 10 percent does matter and that's why we have a podcast obviously yeah. so so he I, I again i don't fault this man for i'm glad he is looking into the early church church fathers the one that confused the heck out of me on um, how you read Justin Martyr, St. Justin Martyr. We've mentioned him before and went and and still kind of upheld the idea that these Catholics don't have a clue what they're talking about. Um, is So St. Justin Martyr, he, I think one of the reasons he was able to explain a lot more of the 
details of the the Christian faith at the time was because he was a pagan philosopher that kind of moved who moved into Christianity, whereas the rest of these guys kind of were grown with the church as it grew. So things that were just normal to them, they didn't think to write down and mention, but he had to explain it to the pagans in a way they could understand. Uh, so he uh, gave some insights into those those normal things that we took for granted or that the early church fathers also took for granted and uh, talked about the Eucharist. He talked about infant baptism. Uh, we've talked about him as well on saying that uh, he kind of laid out the mass word for word of what it was. So this is from his first apology. He says, For not as common bread and common drink do we receive these, but in the in like manner as Jesus Christ our Savior, having been made flesh by the word of God, had both flesh and blood for our salvation. So likewise, we have been taught that the food which is blessed by the prayer of his word and from which our blood and flesh is tra uh, by transmutation are nourished is the flesh and blood of that Jesus Christ who was made flesh. So he talked a lot about that and how the apostles continued this tradition uh, and use the words he he said they give thanks and they say this is my body and gave it to them that's how he explains the eucharist and i won't go back into the explanation but i don't i i don't know if you remember when we talked about justin martyr where he's like so then we stand up we all say the creed mm -hmm. and we say the creed together and then we read from the bible and then we uh have a short sermon on it and then we have the eucharist and that eucharist is jesus so he he laid out exactly what the the mass was the other thing that he really did was he's saying this is what christians do and also and, sorry to interrupt there um, no go ahead what just you know for for folks who may not be familiar with catholic mass um when colby says that that's he laid out what mass was that's what mass is today Yes. Like, it's yes. the exact same Let format. me see if and, I wrote it down. And it's one of the neat things I find about the Catholic Church. And, like, you know, we, again, kind of tying into our conversation we're talking about, it's like, I might know, not know exactly what the answer is, but I think Catholicism's kind of got it close, um, just by feel. Um, but it's it's one of the cool things I find about the Catholic religion in that um, every, there, there's not a lot of subjectivity to it, which, you know, really tickles the itch of my lawyer brain um, <laughs> in that there's not essentially there's the homily, but there's not a, like a preacher getting up there and, and like saying, well, this is what the Bible means. It is literally every mass every day on every church on every corner of the planet, every Catholic church on every corner of the planet is saying the exact same mass every day. That's mm -hmm. every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, it is the same thing. Like, you're getting a uniform deal. Now you can take it home and, you know, make of it what you will, but the message is consistent. Mm -hmm. We're we are living the same Christian life together, and yeah. that's that's all. So the, I, I did find so, yeah. out. Here's yeah. what Justin Martyr said about the mass. He said, and on that day called Sunday, all who live in cities and in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader has ceased, the, pre the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So the first thing he says there is, hey, every Christian gathers together on Sunday. It's not an optional. That's what they do. They read from the Bible. They read from the prophets. And then the person who's presiding over it, he gives a short instruction or a homily. So that's exactly yeah. how, how the mass goes today. You read the 
the readings and then the homilies given. And honestly, can, I'll be honest, most of the homilies, and catch me if I'm wrong, I mean, it, it's more of an anecdote, like, kind of. It, yes. It, it, it's like, a, here's, there's, I mean, I, I'm sure we should have asked Ryan this. Um, that I'm sure there's a formulaic thing they teach them in seminary of, like, take the gospel from today, tie it into something you know. But it's mm -hmm. really, like, you know, uh, I don't know my Bible history because I'm <laughs> Catholic. Uh, but, like, you know, whatever the Good Samaritan story, it's like, you know, I saw a homeless man on the street the other day. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's right. kind of tied the, to making so it relatable. Every... Every Sunday, the got the homily or the sermon has to connect to the readings, so mm -hmm. it has to be about that. Now, on weekday masses, those are a little different. You can like do an instructional instructoral series of whatever you want to say, but Sundays you have to talk about the readings, so you, you're still getting it. But like you and I, when we show up to mass on Sunday, we need a different connection to these scriptures than somebody in Dubai needs or. Tokyo, you know, they yeah, have different to like somebody falling off his camel. Right. So, so that, that's why, uh, they get that point. And that's what the uh, St. Justin Martyr talks about here. He continues. He says, then we all rise together and pray. And as we, and as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and water are brought and the president in like manner offers prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability. And the people assent saying, amen. And according to his ability, they are being, does he have the faculties? Is he ordained uh, to be there? It's starting to sound like socialism, Colby. <laughs> and there according is, to his need and from each according to his ability. Well, there is a distribution to each <laughs> and a participation of that over which thanks have been given. And those who are absent, a portion is sent by the deacons uh, to the to their homes. So, so that's the mass today as we have it. Uh, it's the same thing that they were doing, which is is one of the the, the, another thing that kind of affirms the Catholic faith is is true is we're still doing that every Sunday and every day. That's how the Christians were. Yeah, so that that that's uh that's Saint Justin Martyr. Uh, he's the one who really gets into that. The here's what a Christian looks like, and when if you're if you're trying to mimic and go as much to the early church as you can and make sure that you symbolize uh what they did you're going to want to go to justin martyr because he laid it out for you so anyway those are the those are the early church fathers that that scroll went through and i'm glad he did because i i was again i was delighted to see that they we all share that early church history um and that that's something that they recognize as well and it wasn't until you know around a thousand whenever the the church in the east and the church in the west kind of split apart and it wasn't until the what six when did martin luther come about 1600s oh gosh You're... 1600s yeah, i think uh, was he renaissance i want to say it's i want to say it's 1700s hold on it might have been renaissance because he was one of the first people to go to a like a college colleges didn't exist uh that's yeah, a whole uh, other thing. Um, so yeah, 1517 was when he nailed the thesis yeah. to the door. So it so. was uh, Renaissance time. And, you know, one day we'll have an episode whenever I'm feeling really cheeky of just going through Saint, uh, going through Martin Luther and giving He's my opinions on him. Dude. He like, is. 
Yeah, and he no. could have been one of the greatest saints in the history of the church and instead went the opposite direction. And honestly, from what I know of his personality, oh, he's real torn up about that. Like, yeah. like that, I, I believe, like, from just, you know, off the top of my head, not researching it right now, but, um, but like, I, I recall him being a bit of a renegade. And that, like, you know, I'm saying renegade in that he really didn't give a fuck what people think. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, not at like, all. Like it was like he was a, a monk and like drank heavily and was yes. a big love drinking and could give a shit what you thought about it. Right. Like, the perfect Catholic. Yeah. 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 Then he ruined it. it. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with it. We'll do I'd love or he to do cleaned it up. Episode. I mean, from another perspective, from some looks he cleaned it up. Yeah. If this is the 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 sheep <laughs> the the baptist and the the radio terrestrial radio show then yeah that that would from the pious the pit our official stance on luther is eh. you better be careful what you say here are you catholic i am then your official stance is oh that's it is no no (laughs) you want my unbiased take on my martin luther right yeah give it to me let's do it um he introduced like the concept of capitalism into theology where where catholicism at the time was it was a monopoly um he introduced competition where they had to straighten up like no longer can we just be inefficient as hell and do you know do whatever it was now we have some competition we gotta we gotta actually look down deep into what we have uh and like essentially make a competitive product. Yeah, I and, agree. I agree. And, I do, and and at my core, don't hate that. Like competition I, breeds success. I agree. I agree with you fully on that. However, I do when you, when you're looking at the church, that is a one of those things where God can make good come out of any situation. You know, God God can use the way that humans err. And it, it was definitely the Catholic Church's fault at the time that he, you know, decided to make his own church. Uh, but that that is something that because of humans' uh, inability to be Jesus, uh, that God was able to yeah. give us some competition, make us straighten up. So that's great. It, it, I agree. Might, be, it might be my American, you know, individualist spirit. Um, yeah, way. it is because that's very pro- like, Protestant is the individualist spirit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, the more I'm, you know, gonna marry a woman with a lot of European, I guess, ties, the more and more I see like the Protestant work ethic is like a thing in like a lot of my mentality. It's very interesting, but uh, but I mean, it's that same thought. It's like there's a lot of analogs throughout history. It's like, um, you know, uh. The Catholic Church was to um, was to the monarchy of England as Martin Luther was to the thirteen colonies. Like it, they they were like there. Here's the status quo, and here's somebody who ain't taking it anymore. Um, so I respect that. Like, yeah. Well, and and that's one thing. I, I had a uh, actually had a Substack and a Twitter thread today that was talking about apparently today's King James Bible Day, which. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
don't get me started on that. But I, I did talk about how I, I really do appreciate the King James Bible because the first Bible I had was a new King James version whenever I went to Protestant school. And that's how I learned my Bible stories. It's how I learned my Psalms and yeah, stuff like that. Losing, you start losing me in the translations just because I yes. don't know. Well, my whole thing is like the people who are like only the King James version and the other people who are like never the King James version. I'm like, it, it, it's good enough. Unless you're going to like study and pour over it, get you a good translation. But please read that Bible; it's great. But it it's one of those things that I love it because of of what it because I grew up in a Protestant culture. Mm-hmm. I was one of twenty five Catholics in a town of seven thousand people, and of the twenty five Catholics, half of them were Mitchells. So it was you know that I love being a Southerner and the. Uh, living in this culture but then you do as you learn more and more you're like okay here's where maybe the complete individualist spirit needs some tweaking or something like that i still love it and i want that but i also want to be at the catholic church and the fullness of living out the faith so it is one of those things that's like deep fried catholicism is is my go-to term for that is you gotta you gotta do your best and use the good things the Protestants have. And so y'all, y'all are doing it all wrong. King James and New American Translation. I just have the original Greek. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't read it well. <laughs> but I'm... But again, it, what what is that? Uh, is it an Archer quote? It's like... It, it's... Um, you get points for trying. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, what, what is that? It was that episode where they, they had to switch out the Pope with Woodhouse. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is, but it, but yeah, no, it's no. I, I read it in the original Greek. I do it badly, and I don't read it correctly. But you know what? It's the original word it was written in. So well, there you go. And it's also there's actually uh, there is a difference between modern and ancient Greek um, because I went to go. How'd you figure that out? Because uh, I went to go take ancient Greek classes um, at the at the uh, Greek Orthodox Church here where I live, and um, because my my soon-to-be wife is um, is Greek, and literally her parents are from Greece, and uh, and uh, so I went to uh, went to do that to you know be a part of the culture, and uh, I told them the parents that uh, I was like, oh yeah, I'm learning a little ancient Greek, and they were like, why? <laughs> uh, it's like you're not going to be able to speak to us in ancient yeah. Greek. I was like, oh, well. Again, points for trying. Maybe? Yeah. Like, well, that that's the same thing with Latin. Like somebody, I, I was a few years ago looking on the Reddit, and they were like, "Does it have any bearing for me to go learn Latin on Duolingo?" And it's like, "Who can you?" Uh, he was like, "Who can I talk to in Latin?" They're like, "Oh, try a priest." And a priest came in. There's like, "Don't try to talk to us. We know church Latin. That's all we know. We can't speak it." <laughs> yeah. No. And it's, it's church not- Latin is not Latin Latin. And that's also, you know, and also there's, I don't think people who say they speak Latin actually know a lot of difference. And I'm saying this off of an anecdote and that my uncle, uh, his son, so my, my cousin, uh, apparently was taking Latin in high school. Uh, and it, it's, a, it's a fun story in that uh, apparently he wasn't doing well because he was a 17-year-old boy in <laughs> Latin in high school. He didn't know yeah. shit. And uh, apparently, you know, teacher sent a snarky email like, Tomorrow will be like, he's not, you know, paying attention, or, you know, da, 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 da. it's probably ADHD, but, um, <laughs> it also not caring about Latin at 17, but, uh, 
But apparently, my uncle took, like, he, he wrote a big old long response, like, hey, listen, like, you know, appreciate all your, appreciate all your teaching and all that, but, uh, you know, he's, uh, he, he's having some issues focusing and what have you, and, you know, the whole, whole spiel, um, mm-hmm. don't appreciate, like, your attitude and all that, you know, what have you, and then he copy-pasted it into Google Translate to Latin and sent it back to her, and, uh, apparently the teacher was like, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, kind of thing, it's like, oh, okay, you, you understand any of that, <laughs> oh, gosh, but, uh, but, yeah, no, so, so, as we close, I have two, two things that, like, we've mentioned during here, I didn't find a, uh, line in, one being, uh, I was talking about the history of the devil, that book, I, and you saw me, like, run back into my bookcase, um, but, it's uh, this book right here. It is, it's called The History of the Devil. It's by Paul Karras. Um, it was written in the year 1900. Uh, he's, he was an anthropologist that like studied really the, like ancient, um, ancient religions, and, uh, but like all of them. And the history of the devil is like his magnum opus. And essentially what he does is take um, like the, the, each religion's um, thought of the devil and essentially like analyzes it all throughout them because it's weirdly similar like and it's it's absolutely fascinating i mean i'd I'd recommend anyone like pick it up just because it's neat and the one from amazon has like a bunch of like ancient illustrations and it's really cool Mm -hmm. but uh but it kind of goes off the concept of like original religion like like going way back i mean i think he starts at like the zoroastrians and the assyrians um but it starts with like the devil like so it starts with a a bad being because like you know when we were putting together fire we always saw the bad like you know you saw a lightning start a fire like Mm -hmm. that was that was a real thing and it was attributed to a bad entity and then as it evolved like as religion evolved it like went to like a dichotomy like the good thing the sunshine is a good entity while you know the pain is the bad and yeah. it kind of draws all those comparisons it's fascinating so i'd say that uh check that out but uh, i'd like to i'd like to go through that too because that's one thing i think modern people have trouble understanding the devil like they have the family guy devil view mm-hmm. where it's like yeah, the yeah. guy in yeah. hell poking them with a stick or something where yeah. The devil's really just the gonna be the first person who's in hell, yeah, or first and it, and being it, hell. And it goes through uh, Christianity as well, and like that, I think early Christianity, where it's like the devil wasn't really a fleshed out concept too well until like the I want to say like the Renaissance, until the Simpsons came along. Well, well, and it, honestly, it's kind of till the Renaissance when like there was a lot of church commission art where. I mean, for lack of a better phrase, and there's some nuance to this, but essentially the church knew the bad guy. And yeah. It was like, they, it was like the devil was always, or like, you know, Satan was always like this ethereal concept. And it was like, no, we need like some, some imagery to evoke. Some right. Stuff. So like, makes like, sense. Cause it's so entertainment. Like, it's entertainment. Exactly. You and need like, that, that so, tension. Yeah. So it's like, it's like the modern image of the devil. Like we have in our minds is largely influenced by like art commissioned by the church like 400 years ago. So it's like, it's fascinating how it goes through. Uh, it goes through some of that, and like again, it's you know it's an anthropologist writing about it 123 years ago, but mm-hmm. it's uh, but it's still widely regarded as like a, a very good piece of literature, and it's pretty fascinating to read through. Um, and the second point I was going to make, you were mentioning like orbital mechanics and stuff, and here's your fun fact of the episode. <laughs> um, 
So, do you know why Buzz Aldrin was on the flight? Like, the first the first moon landing? You know why no. he was on that flight? Why? So, in 19... So, they landed there in 1969. Um, in 1963, nice. I believe. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, in 63, he wrote... He specifically, he wrote a paper in grad school because... You know anything about astronauts? They're fucking geniuses. Like, all of them. Like, like just masters of every craft. But, um... He wrote a paper specifically on orbital mechanics and how to how to kind of eyeball orbital mechanics while in space um, and the math behind it, like essentially taking a slide rule, your eye, and like a target drawn on a window, how you would estimate you, your, your velocity, your target, and what have you. Um, and I believe like before the, that Apollo mission, like he had... The, somebody had dropped out or something like that, but essentially Buzz Aldrin was selected to be on that because he wrote that paper and actually got to use it on the Apollo mission because one of the computers failed, and it was like, oh, great, hey, you know how you wrote about this theory? Uh, you have to do it now. Um, like, And straight up, dude had a slide ruler and what had, had like a Sharpie drawn, drawn on the window. All right, here, here's, here's the adjustments we need to make. Like... Which, yeah. which a lot of that's smart, but it also, like, I feel like that lives in your brain, but it also is in your gut. Like, oh, you, you have that point, yeah. natural intuition to know, okay, I'm right on this. I've got well, this. again, it's like they call it, you know, this, the astronaut class of recruits, like, like, just folks whose IQ is off the scale, um, who are also, you know, 5% body fat and can withstand 12 Gs for 30 yeah. minutes. Like, you know, it, it's, it's a very... It's on the lower end of the bell curve of just like you know, exceptional humans who can do it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no. So that was my, my other point that I wanted to make. Um, so finally, my closer today. I wanted yes. To, I wanted to get your your thoughts, and I think this episode kind of ties in well to it. Was um, what is your hottest Catholicism take? And I have uh, one in mind, so I will, I'll take... The do you have one in for, mind for what yours is or oh, yeah, what yeah, no, mine so would be? Okay. So I'll take, no, I'll take the reins on what mine Yeah, is. go ahead with yours and let me think about and mine for a I'll second. I'll let you kind of ponder on it. So, so my hottest Catholicism take is um, I think priests should be married, should be allowed to get married. Hmm. And it's mainly just because, like, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of, like, yeah. I mean, help. There are a lot of allegations about priests and what have you, and, and like, they, a lot of them are true. Like, I mean, there are a lot of bad things that comes out of like the priesthood on that end, especially over the past, you know, let's say fifty some odd years mm-hmm. of the stuff that's come to light. Um, I think that, like, allowing priests to get married, I think that would cut down on a lot of that. Um, essentially, because it's like, okay, yeah, no, it, it's obvious sexual desires aren't going anywhere. Um, that's kind of the thing. Like, yeah. bring it back to whatever it was. I think we've talked about this on a previous episode. Like, what was it? When priests could get married. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it, and the Eastern priests, they still get married. But it is. Exactly. I, I, and like, I know, I know it is. And that's why I'm saying the hottest Catholicism take is right that, on. like, it is, it's like a step away from, like, technically is what is uh, accepted. And also in that, like, yeah, I acknowledge that. Like, I know the the history and the, the uh, 
I guess, the reasoning why they're not allowed to get married yeah. based on our teaching. But it's something I think that is a pretty practical solution, and I don't think it would have a lot of impact to how they do their jobs or how mm-hmm. they, or, or so how the, they, you know. The argument, I, I, I am sympathetic to that argument. The argument that I don't like on that, though, is that it's going to solve the sexual sins. There, there are... That, Those like, will I, still come. You'll still yeah. have divorce might become an issue now with priests. Hey, this priest is leaving his wife or cheated on his wife. That's a big deal that we got to figure out. Um, yeah. And so, like, so I'm the, sure it brings a whole slew of problems. Yeah. And it's like definitely it doesn't solve any sort of infidelity. And I yeah. mean, it, it's just one of those things. It seems like it's um, like it, it, it seems like a stalwart, I guess, uh, part of the Catholic faith that. You know, and also, I mean, you, you bring, uh, like, in our, I guess, uh, Catholicism, I mean, it's dominated by men as well. Like, all of the, all of the preaching, priesting, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. How, how did we let that one slip? Preaching versus priesting? Because preaching is the out. act of, of yeah, being yeah. an oracle versus priesting would be the act of administering sacraments. Yeah, the, but, the but only... yeah, no, it's like, but you have that uh, that other side, like a, essentially a team member to like reach out to folks who may be alienated by like the male side of the priesthood. Yeah. Like I find like. So my, my take comes in line with yours a little bit. So okay. the reason I'd push back on the getting, letting priests be married is going back to what St. Paul said, whereas married men have to worry about their wives unmarried men can only worry about God, which mm-hmm. definitely makes sure, you know, if you're sitting there at 2 a.m. and you're changing a diaper of your child and you're a priest and then somebody calls and says, hey, we're dying at the hospital and you're like, now I got to go wake up my wife because it's my duty to go minister to that. I think that's where you get the person, the priest couldn't uh, fully, the priest would not be able to fully give himself to the church as the spiritual too. father. The solution, though, that I have, and probably my hottest take here, is priests should never be the administrators of their parishes. They should be the ones who administer the sacraments, and they make sure that things line up with church teaching. But somebody else should run the business, quote, business side of the church that takes care of the expenses and the bills and the staff and the insurance. I mean, does this kind of tie into what we were talking about with Ryan? Um, The... Well, the person I think that should be doing this, and I think we should—we're not—we couldn't do it today. But the person who should be doing this would be deacons. I think deacons instead, because right now deacons have—they can work for the church, but they have normal jobs. So a deacon that we know, he works or he worked for the engineering department at Mississippi State. Um, so that is, if if we gave them the power to run the administrative part of the church, then the priests could run the parish. The deacon could be more in tune with the people who come in and out of the parish all the time. And one thing that I've learned from having deacon friends is they do have a large push to make sure that the wife of the deacon is involved in the uh, formation of the deacon. So the wife has to go through all the classes too. And then you do have that family touch where you have that woman's influence too to say you're you're putting your foot in your mouth here or you're not mm-hmm. saying that's right or helping you guide along that while not bearing the responsibilities of having to give your entire life over to your parish. Mm-hmm. So if you had a deacon 
that was running the church and he had to be the bad guy. I was like, we can't give this person money. You came asking for it because of these specific reasons they're using this money. You know, they're the ones who have to say no to this person. Whereas the priest is just there now to give mercy in the confessional, to uh, bring the Eucharist, to worry about how to minister to his people. Then the priest could either go to the homebound or meet his parishioners in real life go sit in the park with this collar on just to administer to other people. Cause right now they're not doing a whole lot of evangelization. They're doing more of up time. Yeah, yeah. They're sitting there going okay, this insurance plan for the staff at the parish has that. And, and yeah. most people want to kill themselves after learning about that stuff. It's just not fun <laughs> for a lot of people. I'd love it. I love getting into all that stuff, but I'm a, a business guy. A gigantic nerd. Yes, but priests aren't going to be business administrators, and, and that's that why we're not getting. My final question: It was like, do you take any finance classes? Like, yeah, you know, which they do, and that's one thing Ryan yeah. kind of told us is they they do a little bit, but they didn't become priests to be business owners. They became priests to bring Jesus to the people, and and I feel like a lot of diocesan priests get beaten down by that. They're getting more vocal about it on Twitter of saying you're going to run off a lot of priests. And there's a reason the vocations are popping off in the uh, religious communities because they actually get to be religious versus mm-hmm. diocesan where it's just like putting a bunch of duct tape on the wall and praying that the wall stays up. So uh, that, that I'd go in the same line of we recognize the same issue. What's the solution to the problem? I guess it'd be the, yeah, no, it seems like kind of flip sides of the coin, but yeah, no, it's a, uh... Yeah, essentially, uh, I have a lot of concerns about uh, just generally, not necessarily on the Catholic side, but like people in general and like community. I feel like we've lost a lot of that. Yeah, um, me too. But but yeah, no, yeah, I guess it kind of ties into that. Like how how do we make it a better community? One being keeping the the leader of said supposedly the main leader of said community not tied up in meetings. Yeah, um, and more Which... directly. Which has to hurt their spiritual life, too. Because it, it, in their ideal world, they're probably spending an hour in prayer every single day to start their day and ministering to the hospital that's local of a nursing home. You know, that that if they could draw it up, they'd do more of shepherding. But Yeah, you know. and, 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 I, and I also wonder, I mean, it's like tied into that. It's like, I feel like it's got to be lonely. It um, does. It certainly does. It's got to be lonely. And it's like, okay, yeah, you can say... You have like this community of like priests and what have you, but I mean, really, at the end of the day, I mean, like, I don't know if I'd be, you know, comfortably being buddies with the priest necessarily. Like, you know, I'm not inviting yeah. him like to go drinking with me, like to go down to hunt or something like that. Well, yeah, especially I mean, if you're like, a parishioner of his, there's exactly, a different right? power dynamic that exactly. is there. Exactly, and so like, and that's why like kind of ties into my take on the uh, on the marriage thing. It's a little like like. I think my significant other makes me better. I'm sure you do as well. Um, and I, I think most married men would agree with that. Like, if someone shares your views on that end, it's like, yeah, no, it, like at no point is, it, is that other person a liability. They make you a better person. That's why you were in that relationship. Yeah. With them. So like, so that's my thought, like kind of that, that moving forward, it's like, they're less, it's, I guess, more relatable. They, yeah, maybe there's a tie in there, and yeah, it's not there, fleshed out. It damn sure is not a fleshed out idea. Well, there is a there is a part too where you could say if they didn't have to do all the admin stuff, okay, they just spent they spend every 
supper time with the local nuns who were at his parish and they are the ones who are going to be like, father, you should have not talked about this in your homily. This is, you know, giving them that, that feminine guide, I guess that, that priests don't get because they are wrapped up in all that. Yeah. So there, there's solutions there. I, I do mean, think that if you and I live together every year, like past <laughs> our freshman year, we'd be dumbasses. Yes. Like, God forbid, if we had never met our significant others, oh, like, thank goodness. Like, we, we would be, we would be yeah. one, garbage people, and two, miserable. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, I, I do think that we, and this might be another hot take, I think this period of the church's history is transitional. Hmm. And especially with uh, the transition from Vatican's one and two, those two councils. Hmm. And it might take 300 years before the church gets to, where it needs to be and we'll be dead and gone so then you have to look at and go what can we do right now to get us set up for you know our children's 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 children you know so that that's one thing that one of the reasons we're doing this is because mm-hmm. hey we want more people knowledgeable about what the church should look like and how to live it out and stuff like that so you, you got to be comfortable knowing that you're not the one who's going to be standing at the top of the mountain being like, yes, we did it. But you want to be the person who's lifting those others up and Again, getting our working, sons ready. Working towards the capital T truth. Certainly. Certainly. All right. Well, that's all I had to today. Do you, uh, for today, do you have anything else? That's all I got. All right. Well, enjoyed it. I hope y'all did as well. Uh, we're very irregular with our schedule now, so I won't tell you when we'll see you again. Uh, <laughs> but if we go too long again... Davis will remind me to post that episode that we have in the bank. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot well, that I mean, existed. So hopefully you won't go another month without hearing our wonderful voices. And, and given our erratic schedule, we've tried to make it to where it's like, we're not bounded too much by time. Like, yeah. So, so yeah, we, we gave you expectations. Schedule. So yeah, no, we're, uh, I mean, what are we at? Uh, hour 45 now. Yeah. yeah no, uh, so, so yeah, no, we're trying to balance that out with, uh, the, the gap between our recording yeah, and, and the length y'all get. So. You're welcome. All right. Well, we will talk to you soon. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or an enemy because Jesus tells us to love our enemies. And if you have any questions, reach out to us at uh, piouspig at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, maybe you'll make it into one of our mailbag episodes. Perfect. All right. Peace.